Welcome to the Business Intuition Podcast, the place where you can learn to trust your intuition to make business decisions without having to meditate for hours, wear crystals, or give up on coffee or wine. You don't have to leave your IQ at the door. Embrace intuitive intelligence to create a business that lights you up and finally experience the success that you deserve. Welcome to another episode of the Intuitive Revolution in Business with this very special series about diversity and inclusion. Today, I am, I am I'm very blessed and feel very fortunate to have Samantha Lubenzu with us uh, to talk about this, these matters. So, Samantha, do you want first to introduce yourself a little bit and then maybe give a bit about your background and uh, what got you into this inclusion and diversity space? Yeah, of course. So, oh, it's going to be a bit, I'll try and make it as short as possible. Oh, so, no, no, you don't have to. Anything you feel, share, I think it'll be good for our audience. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So my name is Samantha, Samantha Lubanzu, and I am a diversity and inclusion strategist and business coach and career coach. So basically, I have lots of experience in HR, and it started with my career I want to go a bit further back in my career. And it's really not my career, really. It's how I came to be. And I, when people say to me, um, how did it all start? For me, it doesn't start where normal people start anything. I go, before I was born. So my mother was in an abusive relationship and um, with my father. And he pushed her out of a window, breaking her leg. And she was in hospital with us, me and my twin brother. We actually shouldn't be here. So I shouldn't be here is my very big starting point. What my mum did is I, she got out of that abusive relationship as she rightly should have done. And she made a conscious decision that not only was she going to do that, she was going to make sure that we were not statistic as a black, um, a black male and as a black female growing up. So she decided that she was going to send us to a school in a more, sorry, <coughs> oh, excuse me a more affluent area in a more affluent area apologies for that so you need to have a bit of a cough there and we were we were in Moss Side Manchester which is known for its violent gun crime and its teen pregnancies in fact one of my friends was pregnant at 13 so really really young and she did not want that for me and she did not, not want that for my brother my twin brother Nathan so she sent us to a more affluent area and it meant that we were in an area where I was the only, well, one of only a few black individuals and the rest were majority white. And it was the first time that I really understand what, stood what the world of work was going to actually be like. When I got questions, things like, where are you from? I'm like, oh, Manchester. No, I mean, really from, really from Manchester. And, no, but really from, I'm like, but I am really from Manchester. And I never really understood the question because as far as I was concerned, this I was born here, never been, to, I was third generation Jamaican. So I knew that I had a heritage there. I'd never been there. So my my life was Manchester. My home is Manchester. My, my life is, the, is Britain. And having those questions asked to me was really strange and I just didn't understand them. But I didn't know that was going to be something that was going to be asked all my life. That wasn't the first, it wasn't going to be the last, it's going to continue to this day. 
And it's always made me feel uncomfortable as a black person who's born in this country. And I know that it's something that makes everyone... <laughs> oh, sorry, again. And I know it makes a lot of individuals who are ethnic minorities very uncomfortable as well. So when I got into what my mother did is when it came to, you know, getting a bit older, she's like, get ready to start university. And I remember thinking to myself, I was laughing. I was like, university? That's for white people. And she's like, what do you mean? No, it's not. It's anyone can go to university. And I literally laughed my head off because I was like, well, who do you know that goes to university? I don't know anyone that looks like me that has ever been to university. Don't know no one. And even though I was now in a, new, in a more fluent area, there was nothing, no one rep- that represented anyone that looked like me. So my mum said, okay, fine, I'll go. And pretty much the very next day, she went on an access course. And then a year later, she was doing a, a, a uni, she was in university. And that was like an eye-opener. A black person goes, black people go to university. And it meant that I could aspire for things like that. So trying to cut the story really short, I did go to university, took the opportunity. But more importantly, I went to, I, I, I became really confident in the ability that I could go and be and achieve anything I wanted to be. And I took my first job. It was pot washing, knowing that everyone starts somewhere, right? <laughs> I was really proud to get like that like £15, you know, cash in hand job, uh, telling a small little white lie to get the job. And I remember then going for another job when I got a little bit older. I was, I was 16, 17, and I went for a top FTSE 100 company, a bank. And... No one told me I couldn't do it. I looked at the thing and said, yeah, I can do that. And I went, I applied and I got it. It was the youngest person. They said they're the youngest person they've, they've employed. And I really did really well. And the reason why I did well is because I was a debt collector. That was the role I did. And I understood, you know, I really understood what was going on. I empathised with their world and I was able to collect debt. But what was more interesting is... I was able to kind of see it in their eyes, in their shoes. So I did really well. And then I wanted to be a team leader. I was quickly promoted. And I was running my really little mini operation, really, from a very young age, only around about 19, which is really young in a really top company. At that time, I probably took it for granted how what a big opportunity I had. But that was also the first time I was going to start really getting bullying, microaggression and racism. And it was not kind. It was not nice. Um, I experienced so much um, real hate and just dislike. And I actually suffered from a mental health crisis. I broke down because of the way I was being treated. And it was mainly due to one of my managers who was constantly bullying me. And I decided to take an opportunity. I I, I went on, um, cutting the story short, I should keep saying cutting it short and keep going. But I went on a trip and I decided to take a career break and I decided that I wanted to study HR. I did European Human HR and I did it in France. Not all, all for the full time. It was, only, um, it was only a year. And then I came back and I was like, right, OK, this is what I want to do. And I got a call off the bank and said, do you want to come back? And I was like, yes, but not to her. And I was quite fortunate to be able to go into a position where I had managers who were then advocating for me, who were allies, allies meaning alliance to someone who's different to yourself, who would be spokesperson, sponsors, and would really advocate for me. 
But at the same time, I also had individuals who didn't like that and would be cause create blocks and other things. And I used to get a lot of um basically things like gangster Sam. Um, I used to get things like you can get me ganja, Samantha. And like out of all these people in this building, you want to choose me. Is that any reason why you'd like to choose me for something like that? And I don't even smoke. So, you know, that's microaggression, you know, thinking about how someone looks and making a decision, you know, based on, you know, stereotypes, unconscious bias and things like that. And I got that a lot. And I also was applying for jobs. And even though I would be successful, is then you'd pass the interview, I would never actually get the job. You'd be like, we're going to put you in a talent pool. Someone else, may, you know, someone else, we can apply again in six months. And then same thing, we, you're really good. We, you passed the interview, but we're not going to put you in the job. And I'd get things like that time and time again. I eventually did get the job I wanted in HR. You no, know, one of the individuals going, why have you been interviewed so many times? You know what, just start on Monday. <laughs> and that was like eye-opening for me. And that was, I finally got into like a, a, an official role. But what happened is I kept getting lots of challenges that were just like that. And it became an eye opener. And I continued to progress, but I continued to experience several different, really, really, really um, negative biases, discrimination, sexual discrimination. <clears throat> and it continued throughout my career. And I eventually achieved my pivotal of where I wanted to be, which is a global HR business partner. And what's interesting about the fact that I achieved that, for me, it was an amazing achievement, but it took me so long. And I look at statistics which show that, you know, I've seen a lot of other people who progressed quicker than me. And they progressed quicker than me, but they were white. And the statistics show that a black person could be in the same role, experienced, talented, and end up being in the role for five to eight years before they progress to the same level as a white person who progressed in two to three years. And that felt very much like the way I had basically progressed. I could have done it a lot quicker and a lot faster considering how young I'd actually started in the first place. And it's a real shame because there were people who may have started later than me who are going to continue. They're sat in the same, you know, really low level roles because and keep saying, I am not able to move forward. I'm still stuck exactly where I am. I keep trying and I keep getting clo door closed in my face all the time. And I kept hearing the same story and knowing that it was very true because I personally had experienced the same thing. And I made a decision that I was going to, I finally got there. There was a voluntary donancy opportunity and I took it. You know, it was a really good opportunity in terms of how long I'd been in the bank. And obviously... It meant I could go and do my passion, which was to help and champion black women and ethnic minority women to progress in their careers and in their business and in their dreams and in their lives, just the way I had done. But avoiding all the things I had avoid that I where we can avoid all the things that I hadn't been able to by navigating. And I felt the only way I can do that is support women. But I also had to go into organisations, I had to go into businesses and I had to really shape that narrative from the very get-go. I needed to basically help businesses really understand diversity inclusion, but also give them practical solutions. From my HR background, a good thing about it is I understood how to, how to apply and implement change 
implement inclusion initiatives that actually work. So I got loads of experience doing that. So I was able to go into other companies and do the same. And what I noticed is there were small companies, you know, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs that were, you know, starting to scale, starting to get, you know, in, starting to move forward in their businesses, but they had no footprint when it contained, contained diversity and inclusion. And in my mind, I believe that all businesses are going to grow. And if they don't grow with the right values at the beginning, we're going to be just having the same conversation in 5, 10, 15 years, which means that we are not doing anything better. We're just creating the same scenarios. So for me, small businesses became kind of my passion to really support small businesses with diversity and inclusion. I definitely want to make business, big businesses make big changes. But small businesses, it's, they're so agile that, and it, you know, having the ability to help them shape diversity and inclusion means they can do it straight away. You know, they can have strategies, they can have plans and they can really get it in and ingrained into what they do immediately instead of trying to undo it, the wrongs, years later going, oh, we're a bit late here to the party. So that's basically my very long-winded story, but that really gives you kind of some light into how I got to where I am today. Yeah, thank you so much for that. It's it's very interesting. It's also a bit sad when you think about it, but um, I think all of us uh, with white privilege and sometimes other kind of privilege um, need to hear stories from you and a lot of other people uh, of what it's like because, um, you know, when we you swim in certain waters, you're not actually aware of what's happening in the background because there's this homogeneous society. But then groups that are at the margin, and it shouldn't be at the margin, really, because, you know, I was kind of shocked to realize that women are considered a marginalized group or, or minority. Um, yeah. And it's like, what? <laughs> we're not a minority, but we're treated as a minority. And, and... The first step, and I don't know if you'll agree with me, is awareness and listening, right? 100%. Yeah, That's so important that we listen to more voices, which is also the purpose of these podcast series, is to have more voices, more diverse voices, um, that can express the challenges that you come across in a society that's not designed for you because there's a systemic uh, discrimination. And... um, I know I've become aware of that with one of my friends who is actually mixed race. And she's very first from the start when we met, she said, no, I'm not black, I'm mixed race. And that's a very important distinction for her. And she really opened my eyes to uh, things that I had no idea. And, you know, the nuances, but also, you know, identities and all that sort of thing. So um, I know that you talk about the difference between inclusion and diversity. So I would like to understand for you what is the difference, um, the fundamental difference, because you can decide to hire someone who is from a diverse background, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you've made progress in that respect, right? Would you like to speak to that for our audience? Yeah, absolutely. So, so, yeah, definitely. So for me, I, I start with this quote all the time. It's my favourite. It's from Verna Myers, which says, diversity is being invited to the party and inclusion has been asked to dance. Or another way of looking at it is diversity with, without inclusion is like having a house without a roof. So we need both. 
and we need to kind of bring people along on the journey you can create diversity just by bringing people in but do they actually feel like they belong do are they observers sitting on the sidelines don't feel they're included are they individuals who are revolving doors they come in don't you never know why do they never really actually stay what how are they actually okay why don't they actually get involved and a really good way of understanding if someone feels included is that they're part of the party they actually are involved they're engaging they're connecting with individuals they feel a part they join in and more importantly they bring others with them you know if you ever know um in terms of how marketing works you know that people the, the most powerful advertisement is the, the you know the spoken word or speaking and sharing with others and that means they'll bring other people that are exactly like them going come into this world it's amazing you'll feel welcome here so have they done that so when you feel like they belong, they will create those spaces to feel that others can be part of it too, that look like them or similar to them. So for me, that is how you look at diversity and inclusion. But I also think that diversity, yes, it's the protected characteristics. And inclusion means everyone, all everyone is included. And I always look at things like mobile phones, you know, we all have mobile phones, but for example, the most, you know, mobile phones created by a black person, actually, and we wouldn't have it otherwise. And, but more importantly, the smartphone was designed by someone who was dyslexic and it was created for someone to, to help their world. And I can't even imagine my life without it as a dyslexic woman myself, but we all get to benefit from it. I also think of things like when you, you think about diversity, then inclusion, what does it really mean? And I go, okay, well, think about going, well, I worked in the Canary Wharf in London and the top floor of where I worked was about 35 floors, might have been 34, but it was high. It was inside each floor, there was four, no, it might have been eight flights of stairs. It was a lot. Anyway, I didn't want to walk up them every day. Call me lazy. I tried it once for charity, took me about an hour just to go up. It wasn't something I wanted to do every day. It really wasn't. But guess what? This is something called a lift and I get to go in that. Now, the lift wasn't created for me. I don't have mobility issues. However, it was created for those who did. Yet still, because of the ability to be included, we all get to enjoy those benefits. So everyone gets to thrive. So when we create services and products, a lot of the time people are thinking, oh, it's just a little niche to create something for someone who's black or someone who's disabled. No, you're actually creating services that everyone gets to enjoy. Just like text messages. Do you do text messages? That was created for people who were, um, I was getting wrong, deaf, you know? They were able to text. We get to do that every single day. Most people text every single day. And it means that we have inclusion. We get to enjoy the benefits of that. And I then have to talk about equity as well, because a lot of people miss that out and it's so important as well. And I hear... <laughs> I'm so sorry, I got a cough. I hear a lot of the time um, this word which is, you know what, I I really just attract diverse audiences anyway, and I don't really see colour, I just treat everybody exactly the same, and I don't see colour, I don't see disability, everyone's just the same, and in an ideal world, that sounds, it sounds nice, but that's not the reality, what happens when people do that is that they create injustices unintentionally, 
And we already know that there isn't a level playing field. There isn't a level playing field for women or we'd be at the top in boardrooms already. There isn't one for black people or, again, you wouldn't see those progression opportunities happening for black people. It doesn't. So we know there is no level playing field. Even in business, we know it doesn't exist. White males are progressing at astonishing rates and they continue to do so far outside all those minorities and diverse individuals. So we know that there is a difference. Now, if we continue to say, I'm going to give out the same to everyone, that means we're never going to actually move forward. You know, and we there is colour because I like smarties and like the red ones. I see that, that they're red. So, of course, you see colour. It's just understanding that then even though they look the same, they taste a little bit different. And they, they, they and that's how we got to remember it. And equity now is another word. But equity means actually I'm going to give people what they need. So if someone was to come into your business and actually maybe they do have a disability, maybe they do need accessibility requirements. Maybe you do need to consider them when you're going um, to set up an in-person event, making sure it's accessible, making sure there's disabled toilets. If you're a black individual, you might think about, well, they don't have the same starting point as me. Maybe they don't have access to resources. Maybe I need to do sponsorship or something to help them to, to get the same opportunities as those who can afford it. So thinking of things in a different way so that everyone who comes into your world gets the same opportunities doesn't mean they have the same equal opportunities. So being a real understanding of those terms and really creating those spaces where you have belonging and equity. And if we can get to a space where we remove systemic barriers and that's not even needed, that means we don't need that. We just have inclusion. That would be the ideal world. But we also, you know, small businesses, even bigger businesses are not quite there yet. As people say, I hate the word not quite there yet, by the way because it's all a journey and we got to run diversity inclusion in the core of everything we do anyway. So that's one of the things we need to think about. Hopefully that explained it. I'm telling you a long way for everything these yeah. days. No, no, no. It's made it clearer. Um, and I'm I'm kind of thinking now about people who may be very new to this, this whole idea or this whole process and who are afraid to do the wrong thing and who are afraid to hurt um, people from minority backgrounds by what they say, what would you say to them? So in terms of, yeah, so one of the biggest um, pain points is that I'm afraid to say the wrong thing. That runs throughout all, you know, that small businesses, large businesses, is a big fear. And then what people tend to do is avoid it on the fence. And I always say, if you say nothing, it's just as powerful as saying something. So we've got to be very, very careful. So what I do is say, first of all, golden rule is um, treat people how you would. They always say treat people how your mum you know, used to say it when you're little. Treat people how you would want to be treated. But I actually think there's a golden, golden rule, which is treat people how they want to be treated. And that means that you've got to go out and make an effort to ask the question, if it's something like pronouns, it's like being polite and saying, my pronoun is he, um, she, her. What can I actually, what your pronoun is? Simple as that. You know, ask the question. I had someone the other day, it was, say to me, um, can I say, can I actually, if you're, um, uh, 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 like, are you saying black? Oh, can I say that? I'm like, but I am black. I am black. It's okay. You can say that. And even though, 
the individuals were really afraid to say, I just didn't know if it was if it was acceptable these days. I I got the question, and at least he asked the question. For me, obviously, being a black woman, I'm really proud to be black. In this country, that is our defining, you know, that's something that we use, and we're proud to use that word. In other countries, they use different things, but here, black is beautiful, and we accept it, and we, we hold that, you know, we hold that very proudly. So... Ask the question, and it's like get uncomfortable. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. So if you think to yourself, "I'm uncomfortable," how does that feel? Person feel if you say the wrong thing? Just ask the question: Is this okay? Have I said it right? Can you help me here? And it's okay. And someone was saying to me things like, "Well, in terms of offering services and products, and just making sure that I, I give them what they need. What do I need to do? Should I just ask them then?" And I was like, "Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> this is a little bit different because it's, you have a business. It, you are offering a service, and if you want people to be attracted to your business, they're not going to be attracted if you haven't made an effort to first connect, to nurture them, and actually go and do some of your own research." Go and give them options. If you were going to, uh, just think going to a, um, a restaurant and you're gluten-free and, and you're like, oh, can I have the gluten-free option? Can I get a gluten-free menu? And they're like, oh, you just tell us what you need. Uh, what have you got? And they're like, you just let us know. And like, I'm in a restaurant. You tell me what you've got. What What's your specialities? Um, uh, well, we'll, just, we'll do, we'll try and see what you can, what can work with it. It doesn't work. You know, you need to be able to, go out of your way and find what your business is and in the world for in diverse inclusion what speaks to those audiences and then work, see if that works for yours by then asking the question I've got I've just looked at these options I've got this 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 would this work for you and then it just like if you were at a restaurant you go yeah actually I really like that option but can you add a bit of extra cheese onto that oh I actually like that option actually but I don't drink milk so can you move the milk so just think of it like that. We all have preferences at the end of the day. We can never get it perfect. But at least if you've got a business, try to try to do your own research first before going out of your way. And it's the same with language and communication. You can ask the question, but first go and do the research. I always get as a black woman, another defining feature about me is my hair. Now, I don't know if you know this, but it's really offensive for a black for someone to come over to someone and actually stroke their hair. I've had it on buses, just strangers touching my hair without even asking. And actually, we don't actually like people touching our hair. And in fact, I, I don't know how often someone comes to you and just starts stroking your hair. I've never seen that with anyone that's white before. Someone just going, oh, your hair's lovely and start stroking it. You would be uncomfortable. It's just very strange. That happens a lot for us. And people don't see it as strange. And they go, oh, it's just because it looks so nice. But it's not nice for us. It's a, it's a bit of an invasion. Mm -hmm. So really just understanding needs. Again, if someone's pregnant and someone, a stranger comes up and starts stroking their stomach, going, oh, that's, oh, you've got a baby in there. I've had oh, that oh, done to me, oh, and I thought that was too odd. Example, mm. yeah, it's odd, or mm. coming to someone's baby and go, mm, oh, she's so cute. How would you feel? It's just a bit of an invasion, especially when we've got COVID as well. No one wants that much body contact anymore. Thank God for COVID, not thank God for COVID, but thank God for this, the way that people have now become a bit more protective of their own spaces because we don't get it as much. You know, people mm. just go invading your space. So just thinking about things like that, Hopefully I think I, what you said about being um, 
being prepared to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, because in effect, minorities or marginalized groups are uncomfortable all of the time. Absolutely. And, and we need to take responsibility by having the difficult conversations and also sometimes by, you know, accepting that we might say something wrong and not being defensive about it because then what you're doing is you're you're changing the power um the power balance again by making it about you rather than the other person exactly i know that's quite a common thing that i wanted to mention on this podcast so people understand you know as a white person or as a male or as someone who's part of a majority you need first to become aware of the uh, the invisible advantages that it's given you, even though you might not recognize them. Absolutely. And then from there also comes from a place of humility and of wanting to listen rather than to speak. I think that's very important as well, which is why I haven't spoken much on this podcast and I think that's exactly <laughs> what I'm supposed to do <laughs> because you are here for your voice, right? You're Absolutely. here to say the things that you have to say uh, for your community, for the people that you represent. Um, but I think it's this uncomfortable uh, feelings and the difficult conversation that we we need to be willing to have. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. We just, just think to yourself how uncomfortable individuals from minority groups are on a daily basis. So for you to be uncomfortable for a few minutes while you you navigate the right wording isn't really that hard. You know, so just thinking about it from that point of view and um, always just try to create, like I said, that that inclusive space where people feel safe thinking about the psychological contract and how people want to feel like they're being looked after. They can gain your trust and you're authentic and you're safe. Just that word safe. You know, mm-hmm. I can trust you because we faced, you know, especially minority groups who faced a lot of generational ancestral trauma and a lot of people don't actually understand why should we have to rule because that was years ago well that was all well and said and good you say it's years ago we're still facing it today if I could yeah. say my grandmother's grandmother and grandmother's face that it's such a sad occasion it's thank god we're not in that world anymore but we are still in that world may not be slain may not be bound but we may as well be in a lot of situations and that trauma is still very present you know where we can walk down the street and we can see that we can get racial slurs we can get um in some senses people even being killed just because of their skin color just because of their disability or because they look different to the the typical person so it goes you know that trust element of building that trust and that safety that you need to go extra beyond because they don't have that trust with um, individuals that are white because they have faced so much trauma and it's not a safe world. We don't, we're not living on a, a play, level playing field. We're not having, we, we get rejected a lot. And we know that, you know, as human beings, that sense of belonging is so overwhelming that if you get rejected, it actually is scientific is scientifically proven to feel like physical pain. Imagine getting rejected time and time and time again. Imagine just going for how does that feel? So we're gonna be on our um, we're gonna be on our edge. We're gonna be on you know with people like oh she's a bit like you know you always get little things especially about you know people who are black 
she's a bit defensive or she comes across aggressive or get all these really microaggression words. But actually, we've got a right to be like that. We've had a we've been living in a hostile world for a very, very long time. And we have tried to navigate it, but but we've continually come against unfairness time and time again. Yeah. No, I really understand. And um just just to illustrate that point, and for me it was a very, very small experience, but I was quite young, um, and I was working in um I'm not going to say the country because I'm not pointing fingers at anything, but you know, I'm, I'm not from the UK and my audience I know is international. So I know we're talking about the UK and Europe, et cetera. I was work, working in a Scandinavian country. And because at the time I had very dark hair and curly hair and they'd never seen someone like me. And because I'm very good at mimicking accents and I, I suppose you probably haven't picked up on the fact that I'm French, even though I am. So in that particular language, I spoke like the locals, and so they assumed I was a gypsy. And from the moment they assumed that, I saw the change in behavior from people all around me in a way that was truly shocking. My friends had to shelter me when we went to pubs to make sure that I wouldn't be insulted wherever I went, etc., etc. So I... From very young, I, I saw that firsthand. I knew before I had the experience, I had a sort of intuition that this was what was going on, that that was something, there was something wrong happening in the world. But I then had the first, first-hand experience. And I can only say that I experienced that for only a year of my life. If I had experienced that for my entire life, oh, totally. I totally get why people would be defensive and aggressive or don't feel safe. And I think it's important for us to stand up and not be silent uh, observers of things when when a person from a marginalized group or from a person of color is being, uh, you know, put in a, a situation that is unsafe and not just walk past. And, and that's difficult, but it's important, isn't it? And I, just to finish maybe the interview, because we didn't want to to be too long and there might be another one but I remember you posting about a business conference um, I think it was a women business conference where there was not a single black speaker and you were quite even though that was supposed to be a very popular one and a very you know and you were quite shocked that they hadn't even made an effort around that you want to talk a little bit about it not necessarily to point fingers again but just to give people the idea because I've been wanting to create a conference and I've stopped myself because I couldn't find enough people of color to invite or from diverse backgrounds to join in. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. That's I a very important. It's, it, it, especially in this day and age, I just, it's, you know, having a speaking event where there's 40, 40 speakers and they're all white is really very unacceptable. It, it, there is no. I, I agree with you. And, and absolutely yeah. not the not that high number. If you told me there's four, you know, we can understand. Okay, you know, but 40, 40, 40, it is not acceptable. So for me, actually, it's a kind of an interesting story because it, it didn't actually go the way that people think it went. Actually, what happened is I came across this lineup I I found this this group and it looked amazing like it it showed representation it looked amazing it really did and then I seen the lineup and I was like wait a minute <laughs> where's the diversity like there is none and I was very shocked 
So I sent a message to the individual who was hosting and said, how do you become this? I was really curious. How do you become a speaker? Like, what's the what how what's the process i'm conf- i'm just i was generally confused maybe there's a reason for this and it was like you know we've closed our um we had an application process and it's closed now so anyone who wants to be a speaker it goes on a waiting list and i was just like well i'm a diversity inclusion speaker and i was thinking i'll put my name out there you know, i'm black you know maybe she'll want an extra person because there is no diversity and actually what happened is she's like oh, i'll put you on a waiting list and i was just like okay fine and what happened very, very randomly, I was at a, a networking event and I, I found this lady who was eating chips. I love food, absolutely love food. There was no food in sight. She was the only one that had food. And I just navigated towards this woman going, hello, you, you got <laughs> chips. <laughs> and anyway, we connected and we had an amazing time. We we chatted about, you know, all sorts of different things. And we made a decision. We're not going to introduce that. We said, I'm just so, I know it's a networking event, but I, can't be bothered talking about business let's just talk about who we are as people and that's what we did we just chatted away lovely person you know I got on with that person like a house on fire and um and then other people came to join us and after we've been speaking for a good 15 minutes 20 minutes and they were like first thing you know networking event what do you do and it's like and we both looked at it rolled our eyes and she was like I do this event and I was like it's you <laughs> I was like, and then I was just like, boom, I need to talk to you. Ooh, and I, and because we'd already got a connection, it was really, really easy for me to just be really honest and say, why is there no diversity on your lineup? You have so many speakers. What is going on? And actually, she was like, I've generally tried. I've gone out. I've sent messages. I had diverse speakers. They kept dropping out. And I just don't know what to do. So I went through some things and I said, well, what is the, I don't understand the process. And then it was like, well, I try to keep everyone, you know, treat everyone the same. I have an interview process. I make sure everyone goes through exactly the same process. And as soon as I get my quota, that's it. And I was like, do you have diverse people in your audience? No, not really. So how do those people who are diverse know what's going on? If you are sending out messages, would it not take a little bit more time for it to reach the diverse audiences if you you don't have diverse audiences? Therefore, you need to give a little bit of a quota to allow more time for them to see you. Oh, I didn't think of it that way. You're right, actually. I just want you to be fair. And I was like... I, I understand that you your intentions were, your heart was in the right place, but by doing what you've done, you've created inequalities. And the fact that people have left to me shows you that they don't feel there's inclusion, that there's there is belonging, that they're gonna go to an event and they're not gonna feel welcome there. And we started to talk about well, what can you do differently? And I was like, you know. She said, I've got like um event, I've got people who are on stores. And I said, Are they diverse? She's like, Yeah. I said, You didn't advertise them. You know, this is an opportunity to showcase that you have diversity. And those people who are coming and are representing those businesses by showcasing them on your um on your social media, you're not only promoting com- diverse communities and bringing them business, but you're also showing that you've actually connected with diverse audiences. So for me, she had like food vans that were going to be there doing jello fries which you know I love jello fries but no one knew it was going to be there no one had a clue and I said like 
I did not know you had that there. As a black person, and especially if you were Nigerian, they're very particular about their diet. And if they're going to be somewhere for two full days, they would want to know that they could eat food that they were accustomed to. So having that advertised would have been very powerful. And she's like, I just didn't know. So for me, having that kind of interaction and not just going, you, 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 pointing, you're a really bad person and really understanding how did you get to that point? And it was because of this, I want to be fair, you know, and the world is not fair. You know, had she had a quota or maybe a different way of a panel of um, a panel where all people came in uh, and you stretched the net out wider and you got to interview people and made sure that the process wasn't down just to one individual, then it would have meant that there was true equality, not just an equity. And instead of just having, right, we filled it up now, that's it now, waiting list. So... Yeah, and I think what, what really struck me when you shared that story is that, and you said it so clearly back then, is that the selection process was on a first-come, first-served first basis. And that is discriminatory if because if you only have a circle of people who are white and from the same background, that means that people from different backgrounds never had a chance to come first because they'll exactly. be the last to know about it. Exactly. So something as simple as that can be a, a huge barrier to diversity. Um, and there's probably other examples, but that I thought that was very, very uh, poignant. Exactly. And um, I actually got onto her. Um, I, I was on the waiting list, and she put she called me like a few days later saying someone else has actually dropped out. And I was able to go on. It was I, it was purposeful for me. It was really important that I was there to express diversity inclusion and why it was so important so I wanted to be there however I knew that I was there for a particular slot and it was for two days I really did not feel that sense of wanting to be in the environment yes I wanted to talk about diversity inclusion and be and share with everyone how important it was but I didn't feel because I didn't know about the vans I didn't feel like I was going to be welcome there I generally did not and that meant me I didn't really want to go other than I knew that how important my messages was. My message was powerful and important. So I didn't go until the very last moment. And when I got there, wow, you know, it felt, the vibe was amazing. The dancing was amazing. It was absolutely mind-blowing. I, I regret that I made that decision. However, I would never have known that. As a person who's from a minority group, I would look at what I see, the representation. I'd look at where have you made this space inclusive and a sense of belonging before I get there and if I don't see mm. it I'm not going to go there I'm not going to feel comfortable I'm not going to go out of my 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 safety net to go to a place where I'm going and spend my money as well my hard-earned money bear in mind that minorities don't have as much um disposable funds so I'm going to go out of my way spend quite a significant amount in my in my books for an event that's not catered to me why would I do that so these things were really, really important. And I had, to, you know, had some real candid conversations at the end of the conference. It was so upsetting to really share my experience because I felt not for me, but for those who are like me, how if I felt like this and it was so powerful, that feeling. Remember I told you how powerful that feeling of rejection is. That's what it felt. I felt mm. like 
I can't, I don't feel like I'm going to feel great being there. And even though I did, obviously, how is it for others? You know, how are we creating those spaces? People generally feel like this about an event that is supposed to be an empowering event. So we've got to be really careful. And like I said, you know, now we've had loads of conversations and, you know, very geared up for her, you know, for the next year and what, what's going to happen next year. Again, we can only see because depending on how things go and what what decisions, you know, is made, we'll see what next year looks like. I, I can only tell, obviously, decisions are not mine. So I hope that the advice that's been given and the guidance that's been shared is really, you know, is, is taken on board and we see a more diverse event next year. I hope so. Mm -hmm. I really do got fingers crossed for it. Hmm. So I'd like to conclude this episode first with, um, you've published, a, um, I'm just getting up now, you've published a business planner, oh, haven't you? Done it. Oh, that's amazing. To oh. help people be more inclusive and um, <laughs> diverse. So um, we'll probably add the link to this or to, where, where can people find you, Samantha? So I am on Facebook. I have a Facebook group called Take a Bit Ref, Diversity Inclusion Unlocked. It's very easy to find and you can follow me there. I'm also just under Samantha Lubanzu, L-U-B-A-N-Z-U. And I'm the only one, so you'll find me quite easily. I'm on LinkedIn where I, that is my platform where I share so much about my experiences as well. I'm on Instagram. Instagram is just one of those places where I dab more of my family side of things and a bit more advice and tips for business. But I would really, really encourage an awareness stage, removing tokenism and really creating value back into the communities. And the thing about creating value back into those communities comes right back to you because you're actually setting yourself up for success. Individuals who see that you're representing will actually come back and check you out and say, wow, this is amazing. So that book is, you know, was done by accident. I created it for small businesses. You won't believe the amount of corporates that have actually, you know, grabbed bundles of that book to say no we we really need this we need to create um, um workshops and strategy sessions for this so we don't have to go running around looking for um diversity of awareness days it's all in one place over 100 in there it's not got every single one in there because that'll be too big for you to carry but i i put the specific ones that uh, that really mattered and everyone else then can put what what matters to them what resonates with them any that are not included that they want to include they can and a space for you to then write stuff about those of those um, particular dates depending on what your business is as well you may be more involved in certain things that you want to add in as well so yeah thank you for getting yeah, i can't wait to i can't wait to get started in the new year with all these um dates and i love the quotes at the start that says diversity is a reality inclusion is a choice um, yeah, that's definitely. just so beautiful. Right. I, I, have a, yeah, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, actually, Go I do have a Black Friday deal. Don't know when this okay. is going to be planned, but uh, it, is a, it is a strategy day. Well, it's 90 minutes. And for those who go on a strategy deal um, day for 90 minutes, on, they will get, it's only £49. They get the book for absolutely free and they get to plan the entire year with awareness days so it truly matters and brings value back into your business so if you want to get that deal it's only 49 pound and i'll definitely get and to add the link so you can join absolutely i'll add the link in the show notes in the episode itself 
Thank you so much for coming. This was so timely because the episode is going to be released on Monday. The, let me just check my calendar. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monday the 21st, so just in time for Black Friday. Oh, and um, I want to thank our audience for listening to this episode. I want to thank you for coming. Uh, I hope your throat gets better and I hope you get some good rest because I know it's been it's been a, a tiring day for you today. And um, yeah, if you want to find uh, Samantha, uh, all the links will be in the show notes. Thank you, everyone, you so and bye for now. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Intuition Podcast. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe, give us a rating, and if you haven't done it yet, write a review so that more listeners can enjoy this podcast. Don't forget to join my free group on Facebook, Business Intuition for Female Entrepreneurs. And go on to my website to download my free workbook on the four steps to trust your intuition in business. My website is theintuitionrevolution.co.uk.